Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. So one of the traditions that we have at St. Michael's is to seek out, um, notice, raise up, support, guide um, those who we sense that God may be calling to uh, a, a particular ministry, whether it be a deacon or a priest or whatever. That's a tradition that we have here. And in that regard, Emily Vick uh, we've been on a kind of a five-year process with her, at least five years, and Emily has been um, granted the uh, next step with the diocese and the bishop into this journey into the priesthood, and uh, supported by St. Michael's, and today is her first time ever preaching. So I invite you to listen carefully, support her with your prayers and your grace, and we're going to turn it over to you, Emily. Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Gracious Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight my strength and my redeemer amen hi good morning here we are the third sunday in lent preparing ourselves for easter lent is not only a time for inner reflection and reorientation but also we're looking forward to experiencing the magnificence of the risen Lord. But what if I told you that there was only going to be one Easter service in the entire United States, and that it was actually going to be held here in Orlando at the Amway Arena? Not only do you have to RSVP, but tickets cost $100 a person. There are no family packs or discounts. No two and under are free. It's $100 for every person, man, woman, child. You arrive at the arena, and there are tens of thousands of people lined up to enter. You're finally at the front with your family, and there's an unexpected surprise. If you want to partake in communion, well, that's going to cost you an extra $50 a wafer. And for someone like me who's gluten-free, that's $75. <laughs> oh, and you want wine? That's going to be $50 extra. So for a family of four, that will be over $800 plus tax, of course. <laughs> When it's time for Eucharist, you and your precious family go up to the altar and you show Father Rick or Father Greg your receipts. 
you think you're good to go. Or so you thought. And then they look at you and they say, where's your baptismal certificate? How would that make you feel? Would that make you feel resentful, angry, defeated? We go to church on Easter to worship and acknowledge as a community the liberating, life-giving God who destroyed sin and death. To be reminded of our resurrection reality. So how would that make you feel? But most importantly, how do you think that would make God feel? I know that this all might sound silly, but this very thing was happening in our gospel story today. It's Passover. It's the greatest feast day in Judaism. Hundreds of thousands of Jewish people are traveling all over the Middle East to Jerusalem, celebrating their freedom from slavery in Egypt to worship the very God who freed them. The temple is the place where heaven and earth meet, where the very special presence of God dwelled. It was common and customary to bring a clean animal as a sacrificial offering. To them, the slain animal's blood represented their life. To make a sacrificial offering meant a fresh start, the ability to draw near to God with a clean conscience and renew their covenantal relationship. The animal had to first be approved by a priest who was performing the sacrifice. So if the animal that you brought from Syria was deemed unclean, well, I'm sorry, but you had to buy one there at their cost. The money changers were needed as not everyone used the same currency, just like when we travel abroad and have to exchange our currency at the airport. But hard-working people were being financially exploited. The religious leaders, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees held that privilege of power. And in order to sustain that power, they barred people from entering. However, as a Hebrew, you were obligated to go. You had to pay the temple tax, and you had to buy an animal, even if you didn't want to. You had no choice. You can't afford it? Well, we have loan sharks. But then there's Jesus, the Lamb of God. Jesus walks into the temple like everyone else. He was ready to participate in this festival and worship. He was Jewish, after all. But something wasn't sitting right with him. What was occurring in the temple was very wrong. He was witnessing the hostility and corruption, people in distress because they were not being permitted to worship freely, the very God who set them free. Have you ever been so angry that you just stop? And you feel the bubbling, the boiling, the slow anger inside of you? I know I have, many times. 
And I can only imagine that's how Jesus was feeling in that very moment. A refiner's fire, a white hot rage. The slow flaming anger of God is just. He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger. He is patience, and patience makes us see truth more clearly. The mercy and love of Jesus hates sin, hates anything that separates his beloved from him. So what does Jesus do? Does he stand there passively and just watch? Does he ignore the injustice and go worship on his own? No! He does a terrifying act. He braids a whip. He's not just carrying one. And he physically begins to disarm the institutional corruption and systems that have been destroying the relationship between God and his children. St. Jerome writes that he could only imagine Jesus with a certain fiery and starry light which shone from his eyes and a majesty that gleamed in his face. Take these things away. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. In the other gospels, he calls it a house of prayer and a den of robbers. He turns the tables of oppression and injustice on its head. The religious leadership were knowingly erecting barriers, keeping people from experiencing their freedom in God, the very thing that the people went there to do. And it makes me wonder, what barriers or walls do I have? Do I have that keep me from experiencing freedom? As individuals, what self-imposed barriers are keeping us from coming to God and accepting his steadfast love? What are the temples in your life or within you that need dismantling. Pride, unforgiveness, rage, perfectionism, implicit bias. Is my value based upon what I can produce and can consume? What temples are we rebuilding and have already destroyed and just cannot let go of? Are there walls that you have erected to protect yourself that need to be obliterated? How do you think God feels about that? How does God feel about you? But there are also community and cultural barriers. What barriers may a church be putting up that keep all people from experiencing their freedom in God? I know that this may be hard to believe for some of you, but church is not always the safest place for people to encounter Jesus. It can be especially unsafe to the marginalized. Ironic, I know. 
There's a reason why loving and caring people do not go to church and are turned off by Christianity. In my experience, it is not Jesus. It is not Jesus that they have a problem with. More often than not, they have had a damaging and life-altering experience with someone or religious institution who has humiliated or mocked them for the very essence who God created them to be. They've told them lies, how they were unlovable, or that their sin was just too great to be forgiven. Do we in church... Do I? Do we hide behind these beautiful stained glass windows in our Sunday best, keeping the seeking stranger out? And God forbid they show up here in a t-shirt and shorts. A few years ago, my husband Walter and I went to Boston for a New Year's Eve vacation. And for those of you who don't know me, I love visiting old churches and cemeteries. And I am humored a lot by my family. So what better thing to do than to go to one of the oldest Episcopal churches in the United States? This was where Paul Revere had the lantern set. And there is actually a crypt underneath the church. So that's a bonus for me. <laughs> We walk into the church and I see something that I have never seen before. It made me uncomfortable and offended. Each pew was built like a luxury suite like you would see at a football stadium. The pews were boxes which fenced each family into their own private and exclusive place. Each box had a thick door to keep people in and to keep others out so that they knew their place. For most of church history, pews were not even in churches. That's why in some Orthodox and Catholic churches, they do not have pews. They stand side by side together. And I know that in COVID, it's totally different. And we want to stand side by side with each other. But the pews were originally placed in churches to raise money and to separate people. It was a form of segregation and oppression. The wealthy bought their family pew box and even willed them to future generations, while the poor and anyone who wasn't white were not even allowed in the building. The poor were lucky enough to stand in the back on Christmas and Easter. This form of exclusion was extremely common in the Anglican and Episcopal Church. I heard something shocking this week, that there are actually certain denominations in the South that want to bring back the practice of pew-renting because of their desperate need for funding. I am so thankful that we do not have doors on our pews. I think back to those thick wooden 
doors, the way I felt walking down the aisle, like I didn't, like I didn't belong. The doors of those pews and the walls we build in our lives form a barrier and close the people inside of them off to others and ultimately to living in the liberty of God. So I ask, what cultural barriers are we, am I, participating in that Jesus needs to break down? Ultimately, how does God feel about our barriers? To know we must always go back to Jesus. In the Gospel of John, the evangelist deliberately makes known the true nature of God through Jesus Christ. The Jewish leaders ask him, what right do you have to come here to our temple and act this way? In this moment, Jesus has revealed himself as the true temple, the Lamb of God. The perfect sacrificial offering that removes and obliterates all the power of sin and death that it holds. Jesus says in Mark that I will destroy this temple that is made with hands. And in three days I will build another not made with hands. His body was whipped, spat on, destroyed and nailed to the cold, hard wood of the cross so that you may be set free. He did this for the whole creation. We are all equal in God's eyes. Seriously, no social construct no class, no gender, no sexual orientation, no inability, no ability, no race, nothing, no box we put ourselves in, no box we put someone else in, can keep you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. It breaks my very heart, and it breaks the heart of God when we build these artificial barriers because the nature of God is love, and love is limitless. The move to the cross is the ultimate expression of ripping those doors off of the hinges. Like Paul states, this sounds so foolish, but, to the, law, but the law of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The love of Christ transcends our human tendencies. It lives beyond, beyond the manufactured boundaries we have created. We are healed by the blood of the Lamb. There is a reason why during church, the peace is after the confession and before we as a family come together and celebrate the Eucharist at the table. Yes, Jesus came so that we may get right with God, but he also came so that we can get right with one another. To come to the table of God as a family. The Lamb of God releases our burdens and heals all our wounds so that we can start fresh and with the clear conscience, being restored to who we were created to be 
Just like our ancestors, the temple is the place where we believe heaven and earth meet, where the Holy Spirit dwells, all grace, all given. This, this is how God feels about you, about you. We are God's home where the holy breath of God moves. We say here every Sunday at St. Michael's that you are loved with a love that you cannot and will never earn and therefore can never lose. This is the truth of who you are in Christ. How is Jesus tearing down our oppressive barriers? How is Christ inviting us to abide more closely to him? Will we allow the embrace of God to envelop us and wash us with the perfect peace that only do you really want to know how God feels about you? You are beloved. You are beloved and chosen. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.